Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Let's stand together. Would you stand with me? I want you guys to close your eyes. And I want you to take a deep breath in. And exhale. Lord, may every breath remind us of the first breath that you breathed and made man a living soul, where you inspired your creation with your own breath. Father, may this morning be a continuation of your inspiration in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. This morning, I want to talk to you about thinking, right? Our minds and how our minds work. And I'm going to talk to you about driving with coffee, evolution 2.0, cell phones and dinosaurs, cheating, and Pinocchio. All right. Our ability to think is really one of the things that separates us from all the other animals, right? It's how quickly and how amazingly our brain is able to work. The other morning, I was driving to one of my lessons out in Woodland Hills, and my OCD has a tradition where I go and get a cup of coffee at the Starbucks right there by the freeway, and it's a Vente flat white with coconut milk, just in case you wanted to know. And as I was getting out of the coffee shop, got into my car, and I was going to put my coffee in the cup holder, because cars are amazing and they have cup holders now, there was stuff in the cup holders. You know how you do that? Like there's a pen in there that's taking up two cup holders, because it's just... anyway. So I couldn't put my coffee in there, so I put my coffee in between my thighs while I was moving and backing and driving out, because I was getting, you know, I can multitask, I can move, drive, and put, so I was doing all this, and I was putting coffee there, and I was driving and reaching for something, and then a car pulls out in front of me, right, backs out with unaware that I'm there, so I have to slam on the brakes Manage the coffee that's in between my thighs because if I don't, it's going to either, if I like press my thighs together, it's going to splash out. I put my other hand to keep it from falling forward because it was going to all dump out, right? As well as hit the brakes so I don't crash into that car. I want to tell you that I performed that excellently. I landed that thing, right? 
I did all this and boom, and it was like, and I amazed myself that I was able to do all these things, maintaining the right amount of pressure with the coffee in my thighs and everything. That's how our brain works. In a case of an emergency, when our brain has to operate quickly, they say that the neurons transfer at 200 miles an hour. From zero to 200 miles an hour like that. I don't know how they measure that, right? Do they get a car and they think? I don't know what happens. But it operates amazingly fast. There are about 100 billion tiny, tiny little cells in our brains called neurons. They are so many that it would take you over 3,000 years to count them all, right? There are neurons in your brain that tell everything what to do. They send more messages in your body than all the cell phones in the entire world, including teenagers. That's how many messages are happening constantly in our brain and sending those messages to our body. It's able to pick up on nuances. Do you know you can't tickle yourself? Because your brain knows it's you. And so that sensation means nothing because it's like, oh, that's you. That doesn't mean anything. Someone else does it, and it means something. It's able to pick up on these kinds of nuances. They send all this crazy information in our brain continuously. Our brains are able to see things, ask questions, gather information, and figure out what to do with that information. It's an amazing thing that we take for granted because it becomes normal for us. Shakespeare said in Hamlet, what a piece of work is man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a God. Darwin said, we are animals, yet we behave like gods. And it's interesting, Mark Hauser, the director of Cognitive Evolution Lab at Harvard University, in a recent article in Scientific America, has mounting evidence that indicates that in contrast to Darwin's theory, so I call this evolution 2.0, of continuity of the mind between humans and other species, he found a gap that separates our intellect from animal kind. In other words, there's a huge gap that isn't going to be spaced by time, that there's something there. Hauser and his colleagues have identified four abilities of the human mind that they believe to be the essence of our humaniqueness. That's the word they said there. I know it's red on my thing because it's not really a word. Mental traits and abilities that distinguish us from our fellow earthlings. Here they are. One, generative computation. Humans can generate a practically limitless variety of words and concepts. We do so through two modes of operation, recursive and combinatorial. The recursive operation allows us to apply a learned rule to create new expressions. In combinatorial operations, we mix different learned elements to create new concepts. You think of our language, how it develops. Think of the word cool. What does the word cool mean? Well, it could have to do with temperature, but you could also say car and say, oh, that car is cool. And then what does the word hot mean? Well, it can mean a temperature, but you could see a car and say, oh, that car is hot. So you've got cool and hot that are opposites that mean the same thing. 
our minds are able to put those things together. You see, we're able to develop these kinds of thought process because we have the ability to include different elements of expression. It's part of our uniqueness. Another one is promiscuous combination of ideas. Promiscuous combination of ideas, he explains, allows the mingling of different domains of knowledge, such as art, space, causality, and friendship, thereby generating new laws, social relationships, and technology. So now you can have art that's actually mechanical, right? We, we put these ideas together and they have different meanings. We're able to kind of compromise these things and what they were originally designed for and make their expression bigger, The next one is mental symbols. Mental symbols are our way of encoding sensory experiences. They form the basis of complex systems of language, communication. We may choose to keep our mental symbols to ourselves or represent them to others using words and pictures. Think of metaphors, right? We don't just say words. We say words and we add pictures to words to give the words depth, right? Brian will talk about that a little bit more in poetry, right? The whole idea of metaphor is bringing color to words. Wait a second. Color isn't something you bring to a word. It is now. You see, we have mental symbols, even sign language, the ability to communicate in so varied ways. And then the last one is abstract thought that I think is amazing. Abstract thought is the contemplation of things beyond what we can sense, thinking about things that are beyond our ability to sense. That would almost seem impossible. This is not to say that our mental faculty sprang fully formed out of nowhere. Hauser wrote, researchers have found some of the building blocks of human cognition and other species, but these building blocks make up only the cement footprint of the skyscraper that is the human mind. The evolutionary origins of our cognitive abilities thus remain rather a hazy mystery. What if that hazy mystery, what if this abstract thought, what if this imagination of thought is part of the image of God that's expressed in Genesis? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That God has put eternity into man's heart that he can't figure out what he has done from the beginning to the end. If you guys are going to talk, you're going to have to go outside. Okay. This is an amazing concept to be able to think about things that are beyond our ability to comprehend. Albert Einstein. There's a quote that's there from Albert Einstein that says, logic can get you from A to B, but imagination can take you anywhere. That's not really a quote of his, but this one is. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. So it's similar What I find amazing about this is here is probably the most renowned scientist that we know. And he says that imagination is more important than knowledge. That to discover things, you have to imagine them, right? Science, we think of it as just kind of this 
closed box, this closed field, but you have to think why. You have to wonder what is going on. And what if this imagination is something that has been imparted to us by God to be able to think of things that we can yet experience? You know, it's amazing the technology that we have today with cell phones, right? It used to be just radio waves, but now we have these cell phones, and I don't know what kind of waves they are. I think they're microwave frequencies. That's what I read, which is alarming, because I think of a microwave, and I think of, you know, something overheating in it, and all these microwaves are bombarding. Anyway, that's just my thoughts, my imagination. And so we are able to now send data, send pictures, send movies across the world in moments of time because of satellites. All these things, our our ability to communicate has been radically changed. What if imagination, what if our mind's ability to, to hear and think is God's mode of communication to humanity? That God is able to speak to us, not in an audible way, but in a way that we just think of is almost imaginary, right? And what if when Jesus said we must become as a child to enter the kingdom of heaven, could it include the child's imagination? That he's able to engage with the extraordinary? In Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, This is Ben's favorite translation, the Passion Translation. It says, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter in. I love that. The wide-eyed wonder. Right? You know what it's like to see a child in their imagination. A while back during the holidays, we were having a family get together and my grandson and my great nephew were dinosaurs, okay? And they were marching around and they were roaring and they were stomping and they were like Godzilla, you know, killing everything. And and then my brother was talking to them and he said, well, you guys know that you're just pretending to be dinosaurs, right? And they both looked at him and snapped at him and started like, don't tell me I'm pretending to be a dinosaur. I am a dinosaur, right? It it was in their mind. It was like, how dare you tell me I'm pretending when I'm a dinosaur, right? They are sitting there imagining this. They are living in this world. And from that frame of mind, they are able to see things differently. You see, There is a divergent thinking that is a part of children, the ability to process a few things at the same time. And as we get older, that ability becomes less and less. And soon it's just convergent thinking. We're only able to see things in a black and white instead of the rainbow of possibilities. What if God is speaking through all those different colors, through those imagination, is talking to us? I, I remember when I was a child, I don't know how old it was, and I remember this through my mom's communication to me, that we watched some TV program. I think I was about five because we were living in an apartment in Montebello. I think I was about five years old, and there was some show on. I don't know what the show was, and I asked my mom, do you believe in God? And she was surprised by that. 
And she says, I don't know. And I said, well, I do, because I think it's important. How does a five-year-old think something like that? I'm really not that smart. I know you guys might think I am. I'm really not that smart. What made me think I think it's important? Maybe there was something going on. There was a wide-eyed wonder that I was able to hear the colorful language of God being expressed through whatever was there on probably a black and white TV that was communicating to me what things were like in my world. This way of thinking, there's a place for this ability to hear God speaking to us. And it's so curious to think, how does God speak? How does he speak to us? There's a passage in scripture that I think is, again, another curious passage. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. If you know Peter, throughout scripture, he is always blurting things out. And Jesus is always rebuking him. Get thee behind me, Satan, right? He, he's telling him all these things like, Peter, what are you doing? I can imagine that when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. The other disciples are standing back and go, oh, he's gonna get it now. That's blasphemy. Wait, just stand back. But instead, Jesus says, blessed are you. And before Peter can think, yeah, that's right. He says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven. God is speaking to him. He wasn't even aware. He didn't know it was God speaking to him, but it was. I wonder how many times God's voice is speaking to us, but we're unaware. There's a thought that comes in, and that thought looks a lot like God. Where did that thought come from? And it's almost like we're cheating because we have this inside connection, kind of like the Astros with the Dodgers, right? They've got a camera on the catcher, and so when there's no one on base, they're still able to let the batter know that, hey, it's an off-speed pitch. They've got an inside. That's all I'll say about that. What if the Spirit of God is communicating to us in ways like a radio or like a cell phone where it's needed to be picked up but not just something that is audible? What if humanity was designed to pick up the Spirit of God's frequency and what he is saying to us? When we are impressed by a situation that we see and it's actually God's voice speaking into our lives through this mode of communication. 
In Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. I have a question for the psalmist, for the scientist, for the child asking the questions. Why do you even care? Why do you care to know what is man? Why do you want to know the truth about these circumstances? I think it's interesting that in spite of all the beliefs of the different faiths that people have, whether people are atheists or agnostic or Christian, we're all asking the same questions. We're wanting to know what does life mean? How did we get here? What is my purpose? There, there is something driving us to know. We are curious beyond belief. Why do we have to need to know how do the stars shine and twinkle? Why can't we just enjoy them? Why do we have to figure out what they are, where they are? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Why do you need to wonder? Can't you just look at it? Why do we need to know how the sun sets and rises? And now we know that it doesn't. Why do we care? What is driving us to discover these things? Why do we get old? Why do we die? What happens after we die? All these questions, there's an unrelenting pursuit to know that is part of the human experience, part of this thing that distinguishes us from all the rest of the earthlings, as he says. Why do we care? What is it in us that drives to look outside of us to find out what is going on? I think it's one of those things that they're, again, like breadcrumbs left by God that when we follow them, they lead us to who he is. They are the cravings of the human soul, wanting to know, of searching for meaning. And you see, this is really important because Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To be a follower of Jesus means you should be a pursuer of what is true. And we should never be afraid to pursue the truth. Any faith that is afraid of truth is not a faith that is worth living your life for. We don't need to be afraid of what science is going to uncover. We need to lean into this because it is going to only lead us closer to an understanding of who God is, who put the voice in us at the beginning to say, follow this and it will lead you to me. And we've done such harm by making people think that science is evil. Pursuing the truth is always our path as followers of Christ. I mean, that's what science is really about. It's about the pursuit to know what is true. And as Christians, isn't that what we should be pursuing as well? There's more... There's one more avenue of thought that I want to explore, and I think it is probably one of the most important. It's been one of the most helpful to me. 
Immanuel Kant said this, two things inspire me to awe, the starry heavens above and the moral universe within. A German philosopher, he thought, man, I look at creation, I marvel, I look within me, the moral universe, and I marvel. I wonder, again, why we care. You guys remember Pinocchio, right? This is a horrific cartoon, by the way. I mean, these boys get off, start having a good time, and they turn into jackasses, right? That's what it says in the cartoon, right? All of a sudden, they're smoking cigars, they're playing pool, and ears pop out, and then they get thrown onto some ship, and like some, it's like crazy. But remember, what was the words to Pinocchio? Let your conscience be your guide. Who was Pinocchio's conscience? Jiminy Cricket. It wasn't Pinocchio. It was that other voice. A still small voice. You know he's just a bug. What if there is really a conscience implanted by God? A voice beside our own voice speaking. I think of the story of the prodigal son. And you guys are familiar with the story of, of the son who goes off and he squanders his inheritance. And finally, at the end of his lavish, exuberant living, he runs out of money and he's starving and he's saying, oh man, I, I wish I could just eat the food that the pigs are eating. And it says, but when he came to himself, where is it? when he came to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? When he came to himself, where was he before he came to himself? Something happened. He came to an understanding. And I think this falls under that promiscuous combination of ideas that we mentioned before. The ability to be oneself and see oneself at the same time is a remarkable thing. To see who you are and to see who you can be is something special. Something that is able to bring about change in your life. I was talking with my daughter last night about people who go through different problems and addictions and they come to the place where they say, I don't want to be this anymore. There is an awakening, we say it. They come to a realization. They see who they are, but they see who they can be. And they see what needs to happen to bring about this change. The ability to be oneself and still see oneself. This allows us to actually change our behavior. And now I think about myself. When I react to something, when I get mad or I get hurt, I can live in that emotion or I can pause and I can stand back and ask why. Why is this making me so angry? Why is this hurting me? I can then explore what's going on in me so that I have a deeper understanding of myself. What am I afraid of? 
by this circumstance? And how can I change so I don't allow this to make me act like that? That is an amazing thing. And it's something that we don't do often enough. We get caught up in the emotion. We don't stand back and look at the situation. We just live in the situation. But maybe this ability to think, maybe this part of inspiration of God breathing life in us is the ability to pause and actually see ourselves apart from ourselves and see how can I react? Why am I reacting? And make the changes so that we can be better than we are now. And I want to be better than I am now. I've said this before, every few years, I used to say 10 years, but now it's coming down to like every two years, I look back at my life and I say, man, I was an idiot. And I think, where am I going to be in two years? I'm going to look back at today and I'm going to say, man, I was an idiot. But you know what? I'd rather be able to stand back and look back and say, I was wrong and I needed to change than to be blind and continue living a pig-headed life. Stubborn, unchangeable, rigid. No divergent thinking, no ability to see things apart from one way, my way. Oftentimes when something confronts us, that we don't like, we say, what's wrong with them? They need to change instead of pausing and saying, you know what? I have the power to bring about change within me that will then affect the change around me. Who am I? Who do I need to be? In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, the Lord says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Reason together. Here we are in the mind again. Here we are thinking about what God wants for my life and where I am at. Think about this. Come to your senses. Recognize who you are. Recognize who you need to be. And who is it that allows us to see the difference? And you see, I believe that the inspiration is the voice of God speaking to our souls. At times like this, when crisis hits, when trauma hits, when difficulty arises, there is the conscience saying, you know what? Some changes need to be made. Some attitudes need to be adjusted. You need to rethink how you're approaching this situation. And we are able to rise above it just by listening to those small voices, recognizing those differences, understanding that there is the ability to change. What's possible if you are able to change? Everything is possible. Think of the relationships you're having. What's possible if you are able to change? Everything is possible. Think of your work. Think of your 
health. What's possible? You might not be able to change physically, but you can change how you step into this difficulty. You can change how you will step out of this difficulty. You can move into it and out of it with dignity if you have the ability to change how you think. And you see, the idea of repentance is just that. It's to change. It's to turn around. It's to understand that I'm not who I'm supposed to be, that God has more for me, and I need to kind of recalculate, recalibrate where I'm at and where I'm going and make the change so that I can become who it is I want to be. And oh my gosh, that is what separates us from the rest of the creation is the ability to repent and make a change of life that is closer to the creator of life. And that's what lies within us. That is the inspiration of our abilities to think that you have the world ahead of you, that you can change your future by changing the way you think. Think, because there's a voice talking to you. And if you will be quiet enough, still enough to hear his voice, you will be able to see the gap between where you are and who God wants you to be. And then you can make the step towards that change. And that is good news. That is gospel. God has given you and I the ability to hear his voice, to see his example in Jesus, and to follow him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that there is a breathing of life taking place within us, even now, as we are aware of the abilities to change. God, I pray that we would be still enough to hear your voice, that we would see with wide-eyed wonder and clarity, Lord, what it is you are doing, that we would have that exuberance of a child opening a gift for the first time and recognize that this ability to see things clearly is a gift you've given to us, being created in your image. Lord, may we move towards you, towards that tree of life. May we find help in time of need. May we understand that we are never stuck when we are able to change. And may we make the changes necessary, even that you've revealed to us in this time. May we take that step. And it might be just a small step, but it's the first of many steps that is towards you and towards a better life. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. I don't want us to leave here without making an opportunity available. And this is something that I think God does on a regular basis. But if this morning you've been made aware maybe of change that needs to happen in you and you see the change that needs to take place in where you want to be, I want you to just raise your hand and acknowledge to God that I see 
and I hear and I want. I think this is important because it is our interaction with the invisible where the, the tangible and the intangible meet and where God begins to do that work. And as you hear the voice of God, respond to it, change and move towards what he is calling to you. May the Spirit of God speak into our lives and bring about the change so that we can become the people we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing, amazing day. Enjoy each other's company. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.